Hey y'all, this is Rich Collins of Renaissance Publishing. Welcome to Mardi Gras Beyond the Beads, a series of conversations with Mardi Gras historian Errol Laborde about the history and traditions of Carnival, the greatest free show on earth. All right, so it's the 2021 edition of our Beyond the Beads, and we covered a lot when we talked the last time. But there's one thing I don't think we covered and we should get out of the way, which is can you give us the strict, correct definition and distinction between carnival season and Mardi Gras for anyone who doesn't know? Well, Mardi Gras is the day before Ash Wednesday, uh, hence the name Mardi Gras Fat Tuesday. And so when you talk about Mardi Gras purely, you're talking about that one day. Carnival is the season uh, that precedes it. And so when people celebrate Mardi Gras, Quite often the method that they do to celebrate it is a carnival, but not all carnivals have to be about Mardi Gras. Uh, you know, if you go somewhere and you see these bunch of trucks on the highway and they have some kind of carnival, things like that. Right, right. It's not necessarily about, about Mardi Gras. We've used them kind of uh, interchangeably, and I kind of do too in my everyday speech because I want to distinguish between Mardi Gras being the day and carnival being, being the season. Uh, and so... Uh, that's the way I kind of think of it. If you think of it, I guess it's maybe as a centipede and like the <laughs> and that Mardi Gras the head. Okay. And the rest and the, and the rest of it would be um, would be carnival. Okay. And it's a little bit of a semantics thing too, because uh, the purists say that you're not supposed to say Mardi Gras Day, because Mardi Gras means Fat Tuesday. So that'd be like saying Fat Tuesday Day, and so I try to be sensitive to that. And so if ever there's a situation where I need to say Mardi Gras. And specifically, I, I'll say like Mardi Gras afternoon and Mardi Gras morning to distinguish it, right. but to avoid saying day. I remember, I do remember uh, a lecture you gave last year during one of our conversations about your problems with the phrase family gras. Yes, and, the, <laughs> and those problems still exist. Uh, um, I, I think it's a terrible name. Uh, it was done, even though I got great respect for the people of Jefferson Parish, and, uh, and I think the people who govern Jefferson Parish understand carnival because they grew up in the, in the tradition but when they started family gras uh one it's code okay family gras is code for not in the city right, right. okay it's ultimately what it um, was supposed to mean uh you know safe and, and that sort of thing and i maintain you can have a very safe carnival in the city it just depends where you go you, you right. go along st charles avenue and right even in the french quarter i mean, I mean there are places but the other thing is that it's really dumb because family gras means fat family. Uh, so well, just a terrible name. Although I guess by the end of the carnival season, after the king cake and the Popeyes, and the, you know, maybe it's accurate. Well, every family's fat by then. So, <laughs> so Jefferson Parish can't lay claim to that. That's right. To itself. Okay, so now you've, now you've defined mm-hmm. and you've made the distinction for us, uh, for the record, between Mardi Gras and carnival. And by the way, that image of the uh, centipede with Mardi Gras in front, <laughs> that should be a float. That could be someone's float. It, it, we'll make note. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, so now I think our main order of business today in this podcast that we're going to talk about, um, hard as it is to imagine, other cities and other parts of the world have their own celebrations, maybe even some of them as creative and interesting as, as New Orleans, although it's, you'd have to be hard to convince anyone here that's true. So can, can you uh, talk about your thoughts on the highlights of Carnival around the world, you, if you want to do some of the history of it, of course, but sure. then, and then I, I actually have some good internet research or just some funny things that I didn't know that I learned today. Well, the internationally important Mardi Gras celebrations, and ones you hear the most about uh, other than New Orleans would be uh, Venice and Rio. 
Now, Venice uh, has this image of like being this really ancient sort of uh, um, carnival celebration. And I think the first evidence of people doing something on Mardi Gras goes back like to the to the 1100s. There was huh. one of the various victories that they uh, they achieved back when when they were all city states and they had a celebration. And then it, it went on from time to time. But then the 1700s, it was, it was outlawed. And there was a bit of a, throughout history in Europe, there was a bit of a, a tug of war between government and, and, and carnivals. Uh, Napoleon didn't like celebrating carnival because when he wasn't a religious man and he saw that as being a, a Catholic thing. And so from time to time it would be outlawed. And so it was outlawed for a long time. And then in the 1900s, people in Venice begin to think, as a lot of people in the world begin to think at some point, hey, why don't we do something for tourism? And they were really trying, especially when you got something to sell, which in the case of, um, of Venice, you know, if you got, if you're Butte, Montana, you don't have much to sell. You know, no matter right. what, you, what you try to do for tourism, ain't nothing there, okay? But if you're Venice, I mean, there's so much history and culture. So actually, you know, as ancient as people think the Venetian Carnival is, the revival was in 1979. Yeah, that's amazing uh, to me. Yeah, where they started bringing it back. And, you know, you trace back the carnivals, including our own uh, in, uh, in New Orleans. Like, the Rex organization started in 1872. Now, by then, you already had Comus, which started in 1857, but there wasn't really much going on. And in 1872, they started the Rex Parade. And part of, if you read the na- newspaper articles, Part of what they were doing is trying to attract tourists in New Orleans. Right. Because this was right after Reconstruction, and they were trying to bring them back. And I think you see this in other carnivals, too. My theory is, and it's just a Errol's theory, <laughs> is that what was significant about 1979 is that would have been right around the time when International Jet Airplane Service was started, when it was getting to be possible to get from New York to Venice, uh, you know, within a day. Just as some earlier carnivals, and one impetus for developing New Orleans Carnival in the 1870s was the International Railroad, uh, you know, the railroad service. If you began to develop some sort of means of getting people back and forth, that people needed to say, well, look, we can get it back and forth. Now let's create a reason for them to do it. And so I think the railroad was a big factor. And I think you can see that in several European carnivals. The one in, in, in Via Reggio was established around the same time that Brex was. In New Orleans, where's that one? Via Reggio, uh, in uh, in Italy, uh, which is important. I'll come back and I'll tell you why. But it was started like a, like I think three years after Rex, but that was the same time though that train service was stretching all over Italy, uh, and so I, I I would guess that Venice was another step. It, it, it was something done in recognition of Venice. I mean, probably train service too. But then they probably had the option to get tourists, you know, across. Know, across the pond, and um, you know, with a marketing job and with an appealing thing that can be. But anyway, the, the, the Venetian carnival, um, it's not like our carnival, there's lots of parades every day. It's more of a, a looking good type of carnival. Masking is very, very popular in that. That's one of the, the key things that you do. There's a big mask making industry uh, in, in Venice, and a lot of the different masks have different, uh, have different meanings. And I guess the most famous Venetian mask is the one with the uh, with the long nose, with the long right. beak, and, and and the legend is is that uh, that was a parody of what doctors uh, used to wear during the plague, that they'd put some sort of uh, spices or aromonics in them um, to break the stench, 
from dealing with people with the, with the plague right. and throw the very common doctor's ma- uh, mask. So but creepy. there are several styles of, of Venetian masks, and there's uh, styles of Venetian um, uh, costumes. And St. Marco Square in Venice has always, going back to the 1100s, it's always been a gathering point, and it still is. And so it's still a place for a gather on the days, on, on, on Mardi Gras, on the days preceding it. And then the big thing to do was that they're very, very lavish carnival balls. And so people dress up, they walk around, they go to the carnival balls, which are by ticket, they're not like ours, uh, by invitation. And so it's a, it's, a, it's a very visual type experience. It sounds more elegant than ours. Uh, or that's the focus. So do you, do you think it was a thing like Prohibition where there was maybe, what, there was 200 years more or less where it was not officially allowed, but was there stuff still going on probably? I think so. Well, yeah, there was probably some uh, yeah, behind-the-scenes things going. I think it probably got rowdy. There were probably religious implications that were involved. And once you get religious implications, you get political implications. So when you had all these kings and all that, they just didn't want to see much... Uh, uh, too much trouble, and I, I, you know, that sort of happened a little bit with our carnival, um, at least like when the um, in the 1870s, one of the carnival crews did a, a parade that was a satire, and uh, that didn't go over well with the government because it, <laughs> it was right after Civil War, and it satirized a lot of the political, uh, a lot of the civil rights figures, uh, and so essentially, they outlawed you know doing satire. Or was very much frowned upon. So there wasn't satire for 100 years, and then, like in the 1970s, all of a sudden, moments brought back satire, and nobody cared anymore. And then, by last, I mean by now, there were several very important satirical parades, like uh, the Coup d'État, that was really biting satire. So there's periods where there was political sensitivity, where things were outlawed, but now I think people are just more liberal, and you know, do satire if it draws tourists to town. Do you think that part of the reason you know, the Napoleons of the world were uncomfortable with it was, was, was the idea of like turning the power structure on its head for a day? And was it giving maybe too much power to, to people that the people in control didn't want? Well, to you have? know, again, some of the early carnivals that, the, uh, that it was a spoof on the elite. And, and, and some of it was done with the approval of the elite where the, the peasants would dress like the rich and the rich would dress like. Right. Like the poor, but I think in Napoleon's day, it probably had more to do with religion, gotcha. religion and politics. Gotcha. Okay, so so Venice, obviously the important uh, Mardi Gras alternative to the one in New Orleans. What what are the other ones you feel like are essential to mention? Well, the other one is what I mentioned about Rio. Rio, um, you know, by some accounts, including things you say, is always referred to as the, the biggest and the best. I'm right. Not, I'm not sure. You know, the problem with studying Mardi Gras is that they're all on the same day. <laughs> so it's not like you can be every place at once. And so from what you read and what you find out about, that Rio is a big, big party that lasts over a period of about five days. The big thing in Rio is the samba, right. the dance, which is borrowed from the Caribbean. And they have what they call samba schools, which I guess would be sort of like the equivalent of our, of our crews where they build costumes and they dance. And, they, and that's what the Rio Carnival is. It's pretty much people outdoors dancing and costuming. And then they have this big old stadium event where, um, where people dance and it draws a lot of people. And it's a very, um, it's a very open and free-spirited uh, type of, uh, of, of, of carnival. And so it's very popular. But I tell you, uh, it's had problems in the last few years. 
including this year where it's not happening because of the pandemic, right. that Brazil was hit very hard by the pandemic. Right. But even in the last few years going into this, there was a little a bit of a political division because there was this president who had kind of like a different attitude about the Rio Carnival, and he wanted to cut their budget in half and say, look, we have to cut it in half, and we use our half for education and for social services. That. Well, how can you argue against that, okay? You got a carnival here, you got education and social <laughs> services. Right, right. On the other hand, well, there is an argument. The argument is, well, by having the carnival, though, we attract a lot of people. The people come, they spend money, right. and they would generate money for education and social services. I mean, the same sort of argument Arguments sort of exist everywhere you have it, including in New Orleans. Now, the difference in New Orleans is that government really doesn't pay for our carnival other than police protection and sanitation. Either it provides the government services, but the actual event itself is put on by the organizations. We have something very, very unusual in New Orleans where the participants are the ones who pay for it. Right. And not allowed, at least in New Orleans, not allowed to have sponsors, not allowed to be commercial. So that hardly exists anywhere in the world, imagine. Uh, a celebration, okay, you, you put in your celebration, but you got to pay for it. You can't, you can't have any sponsors, but the government will provide basic services. Right, so here the crew members pay dues, and the crews pay for the cost of their parade. Right, they pay right. the police details and the rental of the, of the you know, the, uh, the convention center or whatever. In in Brazil, so that this, it's like a state-sponsored party, is that what it is? Yeah, it's more government financing, yeah. I see. Yeah, I wouldn't want to sound like communist or anything but there's a lot, <laughs> right, right. Okay. But there's a lot of um, government money that goes into it Understood. It's, I, I think it's a, uh, it's a poor country and so you need it for it to be able to happen uh, Mardi Gras when everything is working right in New Orleans brings in a lot of money right. uh, to the economy uh, in more ways than people think I mean uh, you think about like tourists who come into town that they're going to spend a lot of money in the, the hotels and the restaurants but you, you get some of the super crews like Bacchus and Endymion and Orpheus, a lot of their riders are from out of town. Right. Uh, our local economy could not support all of those people who ride in those parades. Right. I mean, you got to bring people in from out of town, and these are people with money too, and they rent hotels for three or four nights, and they spend one. These are big spenders, and so it does bring a lot of money into town. Now, I've heard that privately, the uh, the current mayor has said, well, it doesn't bring enough money, uh, but it's. Uh, but if allowed to work and if things go well, it, I mean, it is important. Plus, it really sets the image for New Orleans year-round. Right. That the, the, you know, sort of like the festive image that New Orleans right. has really comes from, a, uh, from Mardi Gras. It's branding. Right, <laughs> right. And yeah, I almost feel like with the pandemic and this essentially a year and <clears throat> who knows how long pause, it's like a, there's going to be a reset with a lot of our calendar events so whether it's jazz fest or mardi gras when they do come back i wonder if there's going to be a, a new energy you know like people have had time to think hey what, what what was working what's not working and how do we how do we um how do we build mardi gras for for the you know the 2020s you know yeah well it's a good question i think every time something like this happens that there's a lot of nostalgia for what it was and so there'll be an effort to bring things but you know it reminds me after katrina that that uh with the pause that katrina there's a lot of concern that New Orleans would lose its culture. Right. Um, you know, the, the, the music and the food. That, and, and in that case, a lot of the people who provide that had left town. And so they weren't here anymore. What happened is almost just the opposite. Uh, I think there was so much concern about New Orleans losing its culture that people tried harder. Right. Um, you know, with blues, cubs, and with restaurants. And so 
I think it might have been some newer people. But the difference is, is that with Katrina, people had somewhere else to go. You know, if they wanted to, 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 to practice the New Orleans culture somewhere else, they could go there. They could go to Houston, they could go to Dallas. Right. But everything's the same here. I mean, there's no better place to go during the pandemic, um, you know, than being here. And so I don't think we're going to have too many people that we're going to lose. I think it's going to be some people that are going to come back with ideas. Unfortunately, there are some people who may have been just at the peak of, of doing Carnival that maybe it's not going to be the same uh, when they get back. But uh, I think the spirit's there. I mean, as long as government doesn't stand in the way and allows for it to happen, I'm, I'm not really optimistic that the next time around we'll be fully functioning, but maybe we'll be functioning better But at some point. But there have been times. I mean, uh, you know, people talk about the 1979 carnival when the uh, parades were canceled uh, in, uh, in New Orleans because of a policeman strike. And we did. We lost all the parades. A, a few of them went to Jefferson Parish. Jefferson Parish has parades, but a few of them are here. But during, uh, world, during the World Wars, there were like periods of like two or three years when there wasn't any celebration at all. But they came back, you know, so. Right. It's interesting uh, coincidence that the year uh, 1979, we had our carnival canceled in the city was the same year that carnival came back to Venice after you know, 200 I years. About that, but that's, <laughs> a good, that's a good point. And there's probably some people in New Orleans who said, hey, look what's going on in Venice. Yeah, I wonder if someone must have flown yeah, over yeah, there. Yeah, let's get out of here. Yeah. All right, well, so do you have other cities you want to talk about for international stuff? Well, I, well, I mentioned this town called Via Reggio. Uh, uh, Via Reggio is in Italy. It's in, uh, it's in Tuscany, uh, and it does a big, elaborate carnival. Uh, it's a, a seaside town, and so it's uh, part of it's on the Atlantic, and, and it has this big boulevard, which runs along, uh, it runs along the sea, but then kind of makes a circle around what is the retail area. So on Mardi Gras, they have this huge parade uh, with these floats that go, big cir- make the big circle, and it's, uh, it's a famous Mardi Gras in Italy. It's probably next to Venice. Um, the most famous. But the reason I, I, I'm mentioning it is that the, the story that in uh, 1958, I believe it is, is that the Rex organization uh, hired a new float builder. Mm-hmm. And they thought that the parade was getting a little shabby, a little run down, so hired this 29-year-old guy named Blaine Kern. <laughs> okay. And the captain of Rex at the time, uh, on his own, sent Blaine Kern to Via Reggio <laughs> to study float building techniques. Because uh, and Via Reggio was doing if you could, if you picture some of the classic floats with with moving parts with heads going back and forth right and eyes rolling and arms moving that, that was the, the Via Reggio influence and so Blaine Kern went there and he studied Via Reggio and uh, and came back and so that, that, that and so it had an, an importance on us this is another one of Verrill's theories which I know is true. <laughs> But, but I, th- I think it was like 1875 or 1876 that Via Reggio started. I think Via Reggio was also influenced by New Orleans because if you had Rex in 1872, that would bet that somewhere in those first few years, somebody from Via Reggio, and it would have been really easy because that's an, an Atlantic port. Right. Uh, you know, to go to, uh, you know, up to uh, Milano, Florida, or, 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 you know, and take a ship. And so... I think the, I think the two really influenced each other. Uh, it's not a big name carnival, but it's really important uh, in uh, in New Orleans carnival history. So that one is is obviously more similar to what we are what we yeah. consider Mardi Gras than what's happening in Venice, where it's yeah, oh, yeah, that's more along elegant lines. parties and all that. That's more line of the big parade. I don't think there's anywhere that I'm aware of though that has as many different 
parading organizations right. like, like, like we have. Uh, you know, when people say that Rio is the biggest Mardi Gras, I, I, I don't know how they measure that. If they measure it in terms of the crowd, I guess they do because it's a, a big population center to begin with. They draw from all of South America, and so they have a, a, a big base. But in terms of the number of events that we have, if you think about like that two-week period where we have parades every night, I don't, I don't know of anyone that has that much activity as we have. And then you have the, the carnival balls and that sort of thing. And so if that's the measure, I think we're the biggest and the best. If the measure is the size of the crowd, it's probably Rio, but Rio's got some problems to, uh, to work out. But we have a, a Mardi Gras to be proud of here. Uh, and you know, as I say, whenever you see somebody doing <clears throat> Mardi Gras, especially in the United States, it's a New Orleans style Mardi Gras that they're doing, right? Uh, including Mobile. Now the people in Mobile will say, "Hey, wait a minute here." <laughs> uh, the thing started in Mobile. Well, yeah, they they did start. They did have parades first with floats, but the parades as they involved in the use of the words "crew" and the use of the colors and the king cakes, all those other trappings came from New Orleans and went to Mobile. Right. And so Mobile is really an imitation of a, um, of a New Orleans style. And so any, they have the claim to being first, yeah. but then ultimately what they're doing now is based on what happens here. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I always say it's like New Orleans is, is, is the father of the father, okay? okay. <laughs> okay. It's, it's weird science right there, um, but it, it really happened. But any time where you see kind of lesser parades in, the, in Louisiana towns or or in the area, uh, it's, it's, it's a New Orleans-style parade. Now, <clears throat> there is one type of carnival celebration that exists in Louisiana that is not a New Orleans style, and it has its own cultural track through history, and that is the Cajun Mardi Gras, right. the Courier de Carnival. Uh, that's not the same, you know, that's not floats and beads or anything like that. It's what's called a, a begging tradition right. carnival. And this goes back to medieval periods where there were a lot of begging tradition ceremonies where maybe people lived uh, uh, near a castle and, the, uh, and they lived on the land of the, that the Lord had. And, the, and one day a year they have this kind of celebration and they would go outside the Lord's house. And, and this was all kind of good-naturedly arranged and they would beg for food and, and the Lord's family would provide it and they would, and they would, and they would, would celebrate. So there's, there's a side there of the begging tradition and, you know, what started Carnival in Mobile was in 1831. There was this one night, and I'm sure this was all prearranged too. It was like New Year's Eve, and these bunch of guys, they went out, they went down the main street, and they went from house to house, knocking, begging for food. And they went to the mayor's house. Now, to stop at the mayor's house on midnight on New Year's Eve, you got to think you arranged that beforehand. Right. You know, I don't think it was done spontaneously. Uh, but, it was, but that was the kind of uh, idea of, of begging and then, and then having a, a celebration. Um, the, um, one of my favorite French dishes that I love to order just so I can pronounce it, uh, coco vin. Okay. Coco vin, yeah. Okay. That coco vin came from that kind of tradition where the peasants would be outside the castle and they'd have these pots and they'd get a chicken and they'd get wine and potatoes, anything they could throw in. You know, it was like chicken and wine. Yes. Uh, the sort of thing. And so that's where, that's where Coco Van came from. So anyway, so there's, there's this whole thread of, of begging tradition sort of things. And the Courier de Mardi Gras, which is, uh, 
which roots come from France, not Cajun, okay, but directly from, uh, from France, uh, there is that sort of thing where people gather in the morning, they have their songs, which are the New Orleans morning or songs. It's their own, your capitan, ma capitan, this thing about that. And then they get on horses and they go from place to place. And then they essentially beg in quotation marks for food. They'll get a chicken there and sausage there. And, and then by the end of the day, they have the makings of a gumbo. And so that's the baking tradition thing. And, and they'll, they'll dance and that. And nowhere else in the country is that kind of celebration done. Uh, and nowhere else actually in Louisiana right. is it done. And so it's really unusual that in one fairly small state that you have two strains of Mardi Gras celebrations. Uh, you got the New Orleans style. Yeah. Okay. Which really evolved a lot in New Orleans. I mean, it has European roots, but then, but then also the, uh, the begging tradition, French style. And it's so close. I mean, they're only a couple hours apart. They're, I can't believe they haven't overlapped more. They're, they're, so, cl- they're so close to each other, and it's, it's lifeline. And even there, they have, they have their own mass. They have a, a mass made out of a screen. Like the kind of screen you'd use for a screen door. Right. And it's kind of shaped to the face. And then it's painted, you know, where the cheeks and the nose are. Well, that's, it's fairly, it's kind of a spooky looking mask. It's a, <laughs> uh, it's a, great, it's a great tradition. Now, this is not a big and rich area like, you know, we, we, we are here comparatively. I hope the tradition survives, you know, the next generation uh, brings it on. And then kind of like a third subset that we have in New Orleans is the, um, the Mardi Gras Indians. Right. Okay. Which isn't like the mainstream Mardi Gras. It's not like the, uh, the, the queer of the Mardi Gras. It's something that evolved and the evolution is um, Caribbean. It's a combination of, of Caribbean, <coughs> African, and also with influence from the American West. You know, those kind of costumes. Uh, those kind of costumes that they wear uh, were never worn in the Caribbean. Or in the, I mean, they were worn by the Apaches. I mean, I, I mean that kind of thing. And they didn't know the big but it's a great combination of, uh, of, of traditions. But the greatest thing is the music uh, that comes out of it, which is Caribbean, uh, Caribbean and African, and, and, and the dance. And it's just great music. And, and it's just, uh, and that's almost a sector in itself. Like in New Orleans on Mardi Gras, it's like one part of town where you're gonna, uh, where you're gonna see it celebrated. And, uh, and it used to be a very, very private celebration. It was just done on Mardi Gras. Then they'd do it one more day on uh, St. Joseph's Day, and you'd never see them again. But the Jazz Fest really, I think, brought them out. They gave them another stage, and the, and the Mardi Gras Indians have been more common. So anyway, if you look at the mainstream tradition, New Orleans Mardi Gras, the Courier de Mardi Gras, and the Mardi Gras Indians, all in one state, okay? <laughs> all within driving license, uh, driving distance from each other. It's pretty incredible. Now, I've been here so long, I'm just used to Louisiana, New Orleans, specifically Louisiana, being a, a, a cultural mecca, right? We have so many culture bearers and so much uh, like has been, has been saved from you know, the homogenous stuff that you might find in, in, in another part of the country. I'd sort of take it for granted. Are there geographical or cultural reasons that, that this is, that's the case? Why is it that Louisiana has maintained all these unique... Uh, cultures and subcultures versus, you know, uh, Houston. Sorry, Houston. I think because one, we're kind of isolated. Like, we're way down at the, the bottom of the United States. I mean, down, you know, down by the, uh, by the mouth of the Mississippi. So, like, if we were where Atlanta is, and like a crossroads right. or anything uh, over there. Uh, plus, we had a lot of 
mixed cultures in in in, uh, in New Orleans. Uh, the French and the Creole, I think, were really prominent in, in developing that. Um, and then the black culture, not only the black culture from Africa, but the black culture from the Haiti, uh, which just made a huge contribution uh, uh, in New Orleans. And so we had that uh, that mixture of, of cultures. And I think Carnival is, has been important that as we developed, it developed something that the people cared enough about it that they really kind of preserved it. I mean, we had our own traditions and they've been able to maintain the traditions. It didn't hurt that it was also helping tourism. I mean, right. I mean, you, uh, you, you always have to, have to recognize that. But, uh, you know, if you look like something like Rex, where you got this tremendous parade on Mardi Gras, and you had this character who was known as, as the King of Carnival, uh, and it's a big parade, but it's preceded, you know, by Orpheus and Demian and Bacchus, by all those. Um, you know, that's a lot of uh, impact on the, on, on the economy. I kind of worry a little bit um, that, you know, people who kind of like carnival historians, like we're, we tend to be fascinated by kind of like the ancient history and, and the Grand Duke of Lexus and all kind of stories. And there's, there's great stories about the founding of, of, of Mardi Gras, including General Custer being here that day and all this. Right. Uh, and so there's all those stories about the early carnival, but that the contemporary generation is more interested in king cake. All right. right. I mean, if you really want to have a talk about carnival, let me know. Where's the best king cake? All right. And so, and, and king, there's a place for king cake, believe me. But I just hope that the uh, people don't lose interest in the, uh, um, you know, in the old carnival and just understand the origins, um, the origins of it. Right. And one day people can come back and they can look at the 2000s in New Orleans. I think they can see a lot of rich history too. Uh, the walking and, parades, uh, yeah. Uh, for example, I've, I've said one of the significant things that happened in the year 2000 was the founding of Muses. Right. Uh, that Muses had a, a big impact on Mardi Gras. It was not the first all-women's parade, but it was the first all-women's parade to, um, to march at night. Usually they were on the weekends, on the weeknight and to march at the time when women was such a dominant part of the, of the, uh, the workforce. And look at the groups that they, the spin-off groups from Muses, all those walking groups. All the, yeah, marching yeah, clubs, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so now you talk about uh, the pussyfooters and the camel toe steppers and all of those in the same way that people used to talk about comus momus and all, all those kind of things. So there's a new level of, uh, of history, and so to... Uh, Hope people can appreciate it all and just see, you know, the evolution of it. Right. Yeah, I, I think you're right about the fact that this this decade is, is the decade of these marching clubs, and it's going to be interesting to see how that and, changes everything. Yeah, I think that they are a great contribution because, one, it's, it's a fairly inexpensive way for people to participate. It's got to be cheaper than riding on the float and buying all these throws. Right. And so you can participate, but yet you're close to the street. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you're close to the people, so the people you know, you're, you're close to them, and they're close to them. And so it's, it's actually, you have more of a presence when you're in those groups than when you're on a float somewhere. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, it's... Uh, I mean, to me, it's a better place to be, uh, uh, to be in one of those groups. And they're funny, and they have good... Uh, if, if people think real hard about their names... Probably shouldn't, right? Yeah. But, um, but, but, but the... But, Great humor and a great presence. Yeah, the and entertainment so, value is high with the dancing and then with yeah, the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and to see that, and, and they're almost entirely women's groups, but they got things like this, like these guys and these uh, 
lazy bore, lazy boy chairs and all that. That's funny. And now the six ten stompers were not created for Mardi Gras. Uh, they were created after the uh, the Saints from the Super Bowl right. uh, last time. It's like a a promise to Buddy De Liberto or something like that. Okay, but they're part of Mardi Gras. I mean, they, they like they belong to Mardi Gras. Right. And so they have all that. And, and just think of the opportunities that's open for people. You know, um, to be on be on the streets. Um, I have I have one more question for you, but I, I just want to share some of these things I found through some research today. You know, so if you think Mardi Gras, you think New Orleans, you think beads. I was looking around the internet today, and uh, in India, uh, there's a tradition of dousing dousing people with co- buckets of colored water. Okay. That's a tradition. <laughs> in uh, in uh, Belgium, they throw oranges. Hey, bad. <laughs> and they wear red costumes. There's worse clothes. things they have thrown at you than the yeah, orange. Yeah, they throw oranges and they dance with brooms to chase away evil spirits. Um, let's see, in Quebec, in Canada, because it's obviously still cold, they have a giant snowman called mm. Bonhomme, or Bonhomie. It's the official mascot. Uh, they do a lot of ice and snow sculptures, mm. and they actually do have a, uh, a bathing suit snow bath party at one point in mm. the, amid the ice. Um and then in, in France, in Nice, they do, uh, it's all flower-based, like the Rose Bowl, flower, flower floats. Um, and then the amazing thing about France is that, you know, Mardi Gras, that's a French term. Right. And people say, well, it's an old French tradition. I guess it was. But <clears throat> it's not celebrated in France as much as in other places. Right. Like, there's really no big celebration in Paris. I mean, you'd think it would be. I mean, you'd think that Paris would be the world center not. of Mardi Gras celebration. And other than what goes on in, in, in Nice and some small towns, it's not Italy and Germany, of all places, uh, you know, have much better celebrations. And it could go back to the Napoleon thing, okay? I mean, uh, huh. Napoleon doing it, or maybe just all the French who just want to leave France and, um, and go Yes, if you're in else. Paris on, on, on the day before your Fat Tuesday, it, no one's thinking about it. It's not no, a thing. Right. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, that's probably somebody... <laughs> You know, doing something, but but there's no celebration. When you mention this character, though, um, there's this character in a lot of carnivals, not in New Orleans, but in in some places called King Momo. Yeah. Okay. And King Momo, you tend to see him, uh, uh, well, he was out of Portugal, and so from Portugal you go to Brazil because that was still by the Portuguese, and so in the Brazilian carnival there's uh, King Momo, and then of course. Rio is near Trinidad and Tobago. Tobago, so you got all those islands around there. So you see variations of King Momo that fill up. And usually what King Momo is, uh, he's like this character who represents the start of Carnival. And uh, he's usually like a portly sort of guy. And in, uh, and in most places, there's actually a citizen who plays King Momo. And so like they have this opening night where King Momo kind of uh, declares it to be started. Now, what's curious about King Momo, though, is it used to be that instead of having a, a living person as King Momo, they used to have like a straw dummy. Okay. So you had this big straw dummy, and you had these parades, and there'd be people on, on you know, riding with King Momo, but there'd be King um, Momo the straw dummy. And a few places still do it, still have the straw dummy. I think so many other Caribbean islands do it, too. But where you got a straw dummy, usually the carnival ends by burning King Momo. Okay. Okay. By setting it on fire. 
Now, uh, and in some places the name has changed. It's King Mumu or King Boo Boo or something like that. But it's something you can tell us in the, in the same tradition right. that it ends by burning this king. <laughs> All right. And um, I, I've been, you know, I've talked to some of these people from some of the Caribbean islands. And one thing you learn about history, when you try to develop history of carnival in different places, the people really don't know. I mean, you know, they hear legends, they hear their own legends, but it's, but it's not like that. There's this distinguished institute of people say that. Right. Okay. And so they're really developing on, uh, developing on hearsay and legends. Okay. But they ask them, well, why do you burn King Mumu or King Bobo and all that? And usually it's something like, well, it's the last day of carnival and it's uh, for our sins. Huh. Okay. Now, where have we heard before of this notion of a king being sacrificed right. for people's sins, okay? Uh, which is really just sort of a very moving perception. And I, I can't tell you which starts which, okay? But it's a, but I think that's all, all part of the carnival, uh, part of the carnival tradition. So it goes back, yeah, obviously yeah. thousands of years. Yeah, now, <laughs> now it's not to be confused with like New Orleans, where we have a king of carnival and Rex. So right. Rex is not to be confused by any means with with King Momo, okay? But what it is is that uh, King Momo, even though he came from, uh, the idea came from um, Portugal, that apparently the name came from Greece, and there was a Greek god who was like a, a Greek god of abandonment right. named Momus. Right, right. Okay. And we had, we still do, I mean, for a long time, we had a parade in New Orleans called Momus. Uh, and, and Momus was like the original, let's talk about the satire, that was the original satirical parade, and so he was going to be abandoned. Moment still exists as a, a ball organization, but not as a parade or, organization. So there's a lot of stuff to all this. I mean, just heard. okay. So that you kind of led me right into the, is, my last question is is pretty random, right. so I apologize. It's left field, but uh, when I was poking around researching today to talk to you, I, I remembered uh, the Mummers Parade. And that's actually somehow based on Momus, that that satire part two. Is is that Mummer's Parade in any way connected to or related to or draws inspiration from uh, our Mardi Gras? Let me tell you, the Mummer's Parade is the key to the whole thing. But when I try to explain that to people in New Orleans, especially people who should know and Mardi Gras history kind of people, they just kind of go, huh? <laughs> uh, you know, they never heard of the Mummer's, okay? Or, 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 or they don't see the links. But I can tell you, there's a link and it goes back to the Mummer's. All right, okay. uh, the Mummer's came to the United States, I don't know which century, but a long time ago. A lot of them were from um, Scandinavia. Okay. Uh, and it was a tradition, like, mummering referred to, like, masking. It, it was a baking tradition. Right. It was this idea of, uh, of masking and going around. And so you had these groups that came from these countries with a tradition of mumming. And they would mum on New Year's Day. Okay. Right. right? New Year's. And so, and they, and they settled mostly on the East Coast. Philadelphia had a big mummers population, and they still have, on New Year's Day, a mummers parade. And if you've seen the mummers parade, they've got these great costumes, and they got these bands, usually they're kind of like string bands, right. and all that. And to me, that's very important to understanding Carnival, that the mummers were here first, all right? Because here's what I think happened. When I talked about Mobile, and I talked about that night in 1831, and these guys who got together, and they said, Let's go and go from house to house and beg and all this. The guy who started it, the guy's name was Michael Kraft, 
And guess what? He was from Pennsylvania. Okay. okay he was <laughs> reading, okay. So he would have grown up seeing the Mormon's tradition. For sure. And Philadelphia back in that period was to the United States, or at least to the South, like with, with I guess like with New York as the United States. It was like the nearest big industrial city. So there's a lot of people from Philadelphia coming in down to the South. Okay. And so I could see very easily a lot of people raised with the Mormon's tradition going to Mobile. And then that, that first night, and, and those people in Mobile that night called themselves the Cowbellians because they stopped at this hardware store and they had cowbells and brakes. <laughs> okay, and they right. okay? But I think they were doing a mummer's tradition sort of thing. And it is from the Cowbellians that what became Mardi Gras evolved like that. Okay? But when I, when I try to tell this to people, and people really should know better, they don't say, oh, no, that can't be. I mean... Mardi Gras can't be influenced by Philadelphia. It's influenced, <laughs> it's, it's influenced by Paris, all right? Right. Because it's French. But, it's, but no, there's nothing going on in Paris, okay? Right. That, that you can find a real direct line, certainly evolution of the American carnival through Philadelphia, much, much better than you can in Paris. What you can get from Paris is you can order some gloves and fine fabrics and that, that sort of thing, right. okay? Fine china and everything else. But, uh, but, but you're not going to get the tradition. And so, yeah, I think mummery was really, really important. It's just a hard thing to sell, okay? Because it's not, um, you know, there's about two or three people who kind of control the history in New Orleans. And uh, and if you don't get them all on your side, you know what I mean? It's just a hard thing to do. You, you know, you can write books and you write articles and sort of thing. But it's difficult, I mean. Well, we're putting it down on the record right now. Yeah. <laughs> this, well, this from doing carnival history, I see... How much becomes accepted as doctrine that's wrong, right? And how impossible it is to reverse. And it makes me wonder, well, how much the rest of history is like that, <laughs> too? Okay. Well, lies spread faster than the truth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, at least big history probably has more people researching it than carnival history does, you know. Um, but yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Mummers. It's very important to the story. All right, well, great. Thanks. This is great. So that, that, there's, our, there's our quick survey of Mardi Gras around the world. <laughs> that was good. Thank you so much. Till next time.